Hallelujah. You may be seated. We won't stop to every need drop. <laughs> and Jesus Christ is on top. Oh. <laughs> Start an after party before the party. All right, open up your Bibles with me. Let's give it up for the band. Don't they do such an amazing job? We love them so much. All right, Revelation chapter 2. We're going to be talking today now about the churches in the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation is revealing to us who? Who's the book of Re Revelation revealing to us? Jesus, that's right. Jesus is the main character of the book of Revelation. It's not the anti-Jesus, the anti-Christ. It's not the angels bringing the judgment. The revelation that is found in the book we call Revelation is of Jesus. Now, who is the second person, or I should say, what is the second main character of the book of Revelation? The church, my wife in the back, come on, snap it, dude. Oh, clap, okay, I was going to give you a little snap for that, but they're giving you claps, amen. So now we get into the section of the churches. So when we look to the book of Revelation, we are not to disconnect everything that's happening from Jesus and the church. Everything is to be connected to Jesus and his what? His church. Where are you at today? And you are also the what? Church, right? You bring church wherever you go. Now, when we go to the book of Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we can get there now, please. We're going to see he starts with the church of Ephesus. And now at this point, we are going to see a report card of the churches. He's going to have a way that he goes through it with every one of these churches. And hopefully, by God's grace, we'll take a week on each one so that we can have the right kind of church. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. Everybody go, mm-hmm. That's right. I know you can't tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have grown, excuse me, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the Nicolaitans, or the practice of the Nicolaitans, rather, which I also hate. Somebody say, God hates some stuff. Thank you. Verse 7, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. Now, if you could go back up to the top, please. I have a chart here because I've gone through all seven of the churches for you, and I've categorized them in a pattern that you will now see in the in first church with what Jesus is doing. He's normally giving a declaration, a praise, a rebuke, some instruction, warning, and ending. Thank you, sir. Now, going back to verse 1, we can see that he is speaking to the angel of the church. Who do we believe the angel of the church is in Revelation? Not God. A pastor. Why do we believe that? 
Because he said in Revelation chapter 1 verse 20 that these are the ones who are over the churches. Now unless, and you can do this, you have the right to do it, unless you believe there's a literal angel that's over every church and God speaks to the angel, you have to believe it's a pastor. Because who is the one he is wanting to speak to? The leadership. Now, for some of you, when you hear the word angel, what do you think of? A winged creature living somewhere in heaven. That is not what the word angel means. The word angel simply means messenger. Everybody say messenger. Messenger. Now, are there heavenly messengers? Yeah, name some heavenly messengers we've met in the Bible. Gabriel, he came to Mary, talked about the virgin birth. Who's another one? Michael. Michael comes to Daniel and answers some prayer. But do we hear about an angel ever being at the church and they're talking to the angel, angel is talking to them? No, every now and then we see an angel sent to bring a message from God or to do something along the lines of protecting and delivering so you don't necessarily see an angel pastoring the church. In other words, am I a literal spirit being that people think of as an angel today? No, but am I a messenger? So can I be an angel according to the Bible? Yes, and if you look at that word angel, angelos in the Greek, it is used of human messengers as well. Now here, once again, as we go through the book of Revelation, there is a lot of gray area where you can snuggle your own beliefs in there if you want to. Just don't be weird about it, okay? So if you think there's an angel over Metro Praise International, please don't tell me you're talking to it and that you have a message to give me about how to pastor this church. Don't wreck yourself. Check yourself, okay? So I believe who God is speaking to, he's speaking to me. That's what I believe, and he's speaking to the leadership. When Paul was in Ephesus talking to the leaders, he didn't say, and to the angel that's over y'all, I'm going to talk to him, and he's going to tell you something. No, he said, I'm talking directly to the elders, to the people in charge. And so I believe that the language here is of people. As a matter of fact, let's just go to Revelation 120, because we already know he who walks among the seven lampstands we already know the seven lampstands are people, right? We know those are people. How many know those are people? Because look at Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Almost every single time we get a mystery in the book of Revelation, Jesus, like the good parable teller he is, he's going to tell us what the mystery is. A few verses earlier, it was said of Jesus, he holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. And just a few moments later, in verse 20, he goes, hey, everybody, pay attention. The mystery, everybody say the mystery. Thank you. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the what? Seven churches. So why would I think that the word angel, meaning simply messenger, and a translation could easily put it there, why would I now think he's holding spirit creatures in his right hand, but he's walking among a church of people? Why would I contradict him? If he's talking to people in churches, which we know for a fact the church is made up of people, how many are spirit creatures from heaven today? Okay, so you are people, and you are in the church, and he's walking among you. Didn't he say where two or three are gathered? I am there with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll be with you until the end of the ages. So if I already know for sure that the lampstands represent people, then I can feel comfortable in understanding what the messenger is. Is it a heavenly messenger or is it a spirit being from heaven, uh, excuse me, a spirit being from heaven messenger or uh, an earthly person? Well, if I know the churches are earthly people, I'm going to take that as a messenger. Does everybody get that? 
Okay, now going back to the notes, another uh, way to decipher this passage is that sometimes people think that the seven churches he is talking to are the seven church ages. Somebody say ages. ages. Amen. So what that would mean is, is that there was a time symbolically Early, the first church, was the church of Ephesus. Then symbolically, the second church that's mentioned came after that in history. And guess what the last church is called? Does anybody remember? Laodicea. Is that a thumbs up church or a thumbs down church? Thumbs down. So then people who take this theory then say, well, the last age is the age of Laodicea. Well, we're all backslidden. Jesus is about ready to puke us all out out of his mouth because it says he's going to spit us out. Those who take that actually, I believe, look into it incorrectly because it wasn't given to us as church ages. These are literal churches. Let's go to Acts chapter 19, verse 1, that were around at that time. The church of Laodicea was around at that time. It's mentioned in the epistles. Now, an epistle is a letter written from an apostle. So when we go to the epistle of Ephesians, it's written to the people of Ephesus. When we read the epistle of Philippians, it's written to the people of Philippi. How many get it? And guess what uh, Thessalonians is named after? The people of Thessalonica. Do I have any people from Thessalonica here? Let's raise their hand, clap for them. Opa. My family is from Thessaloniki, as they say, okay? So when you look to the Bible, it's actual places. Now, if you want to take it symbolically on top of understanding it's actual places, that's up to you. But I don't personally believe that the church ends on planet Earth backslidden. I believe we end in victory. So here's the way I look at it. I believe every one of the seven churches is like a report card that can be used against any church or used to help any church if they're doing bad or good stuff. So if you're doing bad stuff, you're like a church of Laodicea, and you should get a rebuke like the Laodicean church. But if you're an on-fire church, you could be like the Philadelphia church, etc. How many get how I'm using it? So it's literally churches. No one can get around that. Now how do you apply it? Do you apply it to church ages, or do you apply it to just church? Churches at any time could fit into one of seven categories. That's the way I personally look at it. Now, here in Acts chapter 19, we don't have to go through the whole thing. It's actually two chapters that he's here in Ephesus. But just to give you the understanding, it's a real church. It's real people. That's why I believe the messengers are real people over the churches that he's talking to. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at what? Ephesus. And then he started talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit which some had not yet received, and then they get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, speak in other tongues. Go ahead and scroll down for a little bit, my brother. We'll just give them a summary. Uh, keep on going to the next heading. Then uh, he goes and he uh, starts preaching, and there's a riot. How many know riots happen sometimes when preachers preach? So a riot happens in Ephesus, which is going to come up again in Revelation when Jesus is giving his report card. And then we see that they remain true throughout the riots. Let's keep going to the next heading as well, please, just to give you a summary of this wonderful church. Then he travels through Macedonia and Greece, and he comes back to the church at the end. I believe it's around verse 30. Keep on going. Somebody's raised from the dead. Keep on going all the way down. Right here. Paul's farewell to the Ephesian what? Ah, elders are spirit creatures from heaven or human beings on earth. What are elders? All right, and generally there's one among them that is in charge. Like Paul was among the apostles in charge of his churches. Timothy was the one elder among his churches that he was in charge of. How many know God usually speaks to a point person? It doesn't mean because I'm a point person that I know everything. 
Moses didn't know everything. Timothy, Titus, all of these leaders didn't know everything, but they're point people for those areas. Guess who was the point person for the church of Ephesus? Does anybody know his name? Paul planted the church. Who was his point person? Timothy. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Now, if epistles to cities are named after that city, what do you think these epistles who are named after the names are named after? People, right? The people. It's not to, uh, to Gabriel. There's not an epistle that Paul writes to Gabriel or to Michael. He writes it to Timothy. Look at it here. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. To who? To who? What does verse 2 say it's directed to? To Timothy, thank you, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in, stay there where? Ephesus. Okay, go back to Revelation now, please. Who is more than likely the pastor of the church of Ephesus, the main leader? Timothy, that's who the letter is directed to, just as Paul directed his letter to him when he wrote 1 Timothy. Now, a good question is, when was Timothy martyred, and when was the book of Revelation written? That would be a discussion that we could have and kind of debate whether or not Timothy was alive or not. Many don't know this, but church history also tells us how the disciples of the disciples died. Not only do we know how the disciples, the first ones, died, but we know how their disciples died. Timothy was an older man. At first, he was young, traveling with Paul, but eventually he became older. He was preaching at a pagan festival. Sound familiar to those of us who preach at places like that? And they commanded him to stop. He wouldn't stop. They then beat him, drug him through the city, and he was killed. That's how Timothy died. That was how our heroes died. We should never give up preaching the gospel and live in honor of them. Amen? So whether or not it's Timothy, who would be a disciple of a disciple, or it's one of Timothy's disciples, a disciple of a disciple of a disciple, we know that Jesus is speaking to them. Now, right here, everybody, get this. This is Jesus' report card. So I wish right now that more people would understand the book of Revelation than they understand the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story is looking back to what he did. This is looking forward to what he's going to do. He is going to judge his churches. And so we need to understand the way he is going to judge us. So he talks about himself again for us to know the revelation is always about Jesus. So just as he had said before in Revelation 1.20, he repeats it. I am holding the seven stars or seven messengers in my right hand, and I am walking among the golden lampstands. That is encouraging to us to know about how much Jesus loves us. And let's scroll down to the outline so they can see it's a little bit further down. You guys will get it all here. He gives that declaration. Now he gives them the praise. And he says to them, you don't tolerate wicked people. Good job, star next to your name. How many know that's the opposite of what the world wants us to do? Go back to the verse so they can see it, please, and we'll just be going back and forth. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. So how many in this culture are asking, asking us to tolerate them? Pretty much everybody. They think that Jesus is tolerating them in their wickedness, and it's actually the opposite. I get a star next to my name when I don't tolerate your wicked self. I get a star next to my name in God's kingdom. See, it's an upside-down kingdom, or rather a right-side-up kingdom. What they call good, God calls evil. What they call evil, God calls good. 
So right here, does this mean that I am going to be intolerant of the society that I live in? No. What he is complimenting the church on is that they are intolerant of wickedness in the church. I'm going to show you that now. Remember, who's the one that started the Ephesians church? What was his name? Paul. Who was the one he left in charge? Timothy. Now you're getting it. Let's go to how Paul pastored his churches because Ephesus probably followed along. Let's go to Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. How many think Paul had the same things going on in each of his churches? And it actually says that in Corinth, the way I pastor here, because it's a long letter. He said, you guys know I pastor everywhere. In chapter 5, we learn that there's a problem in the church, and somebody's about ready to get kicked out. Everybody go, oh, snap. Look at your neighbor say, don't start no stuff, won't be no stuff. Uh, but if you do, knuckle up, buckle up, trouble coming your way, baby. Scroll on down to the end, please. Scroll on down. This is in the Bible, how to kick people out the church. Not only did it, Paul teach it, Jesus taught it. Keep on going, please. Right at the end, verse 12, Paul says, What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? You see, Jesus is talking to the church of Ephesus, and he's saying, good job. You don't tolerate wicked people. And we're supposed to understand we don't tolerate wicked people in the church. That's what Paul's reiterating here. Is it my job to go out here and to cast judgment onto these people outside the church? No, because we're not going to bring a theocracy until Jesus brings it and steps on the Mount of Olives. So as much as I love the Puritans, they were wrong with puranical, puritanical, however I can say puranical, Puritan rule, rather. Puranical, let's just say it like that. Okay? They were wrong because they wanted to make the Bible the Constitution. And we are not going to burn witches, do all of this, that, and, and, and the other. The old covenant was a theocracy based on God ruling from his, uh, his temple by his prophets. That is not the New Testament. Now, some of you may be a little disappointed with that, but the best we can do is to bring God's principles to a government and let them choose whether or not they want it. So anytime we force our religion on others, we are now a part of the problem instead of the solution. And the way I look at it is when Daniel was in Babylon. Everybody say Babylon. Babylon. When he was in Babylon, man, did he make Babylon Israel? No, in Babylon, he did Babylonian things, man. He did Babylon. Where's my Jamaican friend today, man? When I went to Bible college, I had friends from Jamaica, man, from the Bahamas, from the, uh, Dominica, from all the Caribbean islands, man. And they let me talk like this, man. So don't think I'm appropriating culture, man. Okay. <laughs> All right, and you can talk like this too, dude, and be like me, man. This is how white guys talk, okay? Um, so so when they were in Babylon, when they were in Babylon with Bob Marley, man, were, were, were they making it Israel? No. They even had their names changed. They were called by other names. When I say Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what are their Hebrew names? Only maybe some of you would know, like Azariah, a few other uh, of those three men's names. But we call them by their Babylonian names, the names of the false gods. So here's how we have to be when we are in Babylon. We have to be in that system, but not of that system. We use it for the advantage of God. And when we stand up and are ready to die, we do it for our religion, for the things that matter. So listen, on your job, if Bruce Jenner wanted to be called Caitlyn Jenner, call him Caitlyn Jenner. That's not worth you losing your job over because they would love all of us to be broke, busting, and disgusted, living on a commune somewhere. But if according to your conscience, you can't do what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, take on other names, call people by their names, if you can't do that, then go on with your bad self. 
You won't last in Babylon very long, right? But the men that were in Babylon, God used them to do great things. So you have to know how to be in the world but not of the world. The same thing is with Jesus. He paid taxes because he said the image was of Caesar, so you have to pay taxes. We look to another Bible example. We look to the story of Joseph and Pharaoh. And I don't have a funny accent for Pharaoh. But when they were living in, in Egypt, uh, you know, Joseph didn't walk around and be like, all y'all pagans going to burn in hell. It's Jesus time or Jehovah time, Yahweh time. Y'all get with the Ten Commandments. Y'all better know this. You know, the Ten Commandments didn't come out yet, but you get what I'm saying. It's like the prequel. But, but no, man, he dressed like an Egyptian to the point that when his own brothers saw him, they could not recognize him. Walk like an Egyptian. Talk like, and that was him. But he didn't have the heart of an Egyptian. He had a heart after God. So for those of you here, listen, draw your lines between you and your conscience with God in prayer. If some of you are like, man, this is my line. I will not work in a public school. I will not have a government job because they're going to mandate this. I'm not going to work for a corporation. I'm going to go online. I'm going to do drop shipping. I'm going to do Amazon. I'm going to do stocks. I'm going to, I'm going to make something and sell it on Shopify. Amen, amen, amen. But for the, for the rest of the world that has to be in those situations, let's not judge them and say because they're playing by Babylonian rules that now they're Babylonian. Because I homeschool my kids. Some of you guys can't homeschool your kids, right? That doesn't mean they're going to turn out wicked. Some homeschoolers turn out wicked and the kids that went to the wicked school are going to turn out righteous. It's their choice, okay? Dave, Daniel and his friends were taught in Babylon. They were literally stolen from their family and brought to Babylon, and yet they were righteous and they were holy because they were in Babylon, but Babylon was not in them. And that's how we have to be as Christians, as wise as serpents, as shrewd as serpents, as the Bible says, as harmless as doves. So we, we are in the world, not of the world. So we don't judge the world by our principles, by laying it down as judicial law. So somebody has a divorce, we don't kick them out the country. Someone's practicing homosexuality, we don't stone them, etc. But look at what Paul says. Are you, to not, are you not to judge those inside? Yes, God will judge those outside. Kick that wicked person out from among you. Expel them. So in this church, somebody say right here. If you hood, say right here, baby. Right here. We're going to kick you out if you're wicked. We don't tolerate wicked people. I'm going to get a star next to my name in Jesus' name. I hope you get a star next to your name because you kick them out the house. After 18 years old, they're wicked. Put them out. Is it your job to judge what, what Miley Cyrus does or Cardi B does? No, but it's your job to do what you do in this house. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We will expel wicked people from out this church. We, we know we could have more people here. We could be bigger. We could be big. We could be bigger. We could be big. We could be a big church. If we let everybody do what they want, and guess what? We would be on your 600-pound life. We would be big, but we'd be obese. I, I go to church, but I can't do anything because I eat food every day and I play Xbox. That's what a lot of those big churches are like. Yeah, you big. You a biggin, boy. You obese. And God, come on, God loves fat people too. I used to be fat and I know he loved me. You don't believe me, check my old videos. You'll see I was big, big and healthy. But listen, but listen, get, you better get right or you're going to get left. I'm not here to make a church be big and fat. I want a church to be big in muscles. I want a church to be big in the things of God for warfare. Yeah. 
We're not here to have a 600-pound life and say, look how big I am. We are here to be radical for Jesus. So here's the deal. If you are wicked, don't be wicked anymore. If you haven't made up that decision, don't come here. Find another church to be wicked at. Not here. We love you too much to let you stay that way. And we want the star next to our name. When God sees us, we want him to say about Metro Praise International, what he said about the Ephesians church, you don't tolerate wicked people. Amen. Put it back up just so they know I'm not making it up. That pastor's just preaching to be radical. No, look at what it says. I know your deeds, your work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate what? Wicked people. One more time. You cannot tolerate what? Wicked people. You want to sleep with someone that's not your wife? We will not tolerate that. You want to have same-sex relationships? We're not going to tolerate that. You want to go around and cause gossip? We're not going to tolerate that. Your landlord calls us up and says you're not paying your bills? We're not going to tolerate that. We're not going to tolerate wickedness here. Now let's see sweet Jesus say it, right? Sweet baby Jesus. Jesus grew up and became a man, you know? Let's see what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 16. Because the way he's judging them is the way he has taught them. Jesus is not going to bring up anything on judgment day that you would not have known. God is only going to judge us by what we know according to our conscience. That is why I personally believe, according to Romans chapter 1, that the unreached people groups, as well as children and the mentally handicapped, are given a judgment according to conscience because they don't know the word and they don't understand God's commands as it pertains to the New Testament. But they will be judged by the conscience that you know it's wrong to eat somebody. Okay? I don't care what culture you're from, the Aztec culture, they all practice it. Human sacrifice in European culture, in the African cultures, in the Asian culture. You eating somebody, you killing somebody, you going to hell whether you heard the gospel or not. You knew better than that, right? How many know in your conscience it's, it's not right to eat people, not murder people, treat your neighbor as yourself? So God's going to judge all people groups by the conscience if they have not heard the word yet. Here's Jesus. Jesus says, but if, uh, go up to uh, verse 15, sorry. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. And when they say, don't judge me, say, I'm sorry, and then go back home and pray and ask sweet Jesus to forgive you. People don't even understand the Bible. How could we even do this according to what Oprah Winfrey and all these people believe? How could we even do this according to what Joel Osteen says? Why don't judge anybody? What about an atheist? No, I don't judge him. Well, you're a fool. I'll judge him. Bring me on the show, and I'll be like, I'll, I'll be the best judge. I'll, I'll be uh, Simon Powell or Kyle, whatever his name is. I'll be America's Got Talent judge up here, sinner, saint. Sin. Now you say, oh, pastor, that's so wrong. No, we are supposed to judge. But we do not judge. The Bible says do not judge by mere appearances, but judge righteously. So if you come up with tattoos and teardrops and all that stuff, I'm not supposed to go, sinner. What I'm supposed to do is ask you, who is Lord of your life? If you say anybody other than Jesus, you're a sinner on your way to hell. Do you want me to help you figure out some of your sins? And I could just go through the Ten Commandments. Do you take the name of the Lord in vain? Oh, you do? You're a blasphemer. Do you tell lies? You're a liar. How many know there's a whole book in our Bible called Judges? <laughs> you're only God's supposed to judge. Tell him that. He's the one that gave us a book called Judges. Go to another tab just so people can see there's a whole book about people judging others. Judges chapter 1. Just show them. I'm not making it up. How many know there's a book in the Bible called Judges? Judges. J-U-D-G-E-S. Judges chapter 1. It's a book in our Bible. God appointed judges. 
Oh, it's so awesome when this works right. Come on, guys. We can do it. Let's give it up for those in the back. It is so hard. It is so hard for them right now. Let's start together. There we go. No, no. Go back again. You're going to put an S on that. You're going to, no, not an A. You're going to put, you're going to put an S there. Now you're going to put a space and a one. There we go. Awesome. Now look, after the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, who's going to go up and fight for the, you know, fight for us and do all these things? Keep on going down. Keep on going down. Uh, scroll down for me a little bit. The Lord says, I'm going to give them into your hands, and then I'll keep going. I'm going to show you where he starts to appoint them to be judges. These people begin to come up. This is really cool. Caleb is there. He's going to get his land. Somebody say the Bible's pretty awesome. I'm just doing this on the fly. Somewhere it's going to be here. Now notice this. The messenger of the Lord comes to this person and begins to give them the word that they are now going to judge the people of Israel by. So look at the angel of the Lord goes to Gilgal, and he says, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you have broke down their altars. You have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I also said, I will not, and have I also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. Keep going. So he's giving him the message. Everybody say the message. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to the Israelite, the people wept aloud. They called the place Bochim, and they offered sacrifices to the Lord. Now, at this point, he gives them the message through Joshua, and that's the way it's going to be. But they don't listen again. Keep on going down. It might be in chapter 2. He's going to now have to raise up actual judges that enforce his law. Keep on going. I think it might be around oh, two and 3. Okay, let's keep on going, keep on going. There we go, verse 7. Go to verse 7. Here's the first judge. Chapter 3, verse 7. So the Israelites didn't listen to the angel of the Lord or what he spoke to Joshua. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God, served the Baals and Asherahs. The anger of the Lord burned against them, and he sold them into the hands of the Cushites, uh, the Cushonite king of Aram, Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subjected for eight years. But when they cried out, to the Lord, he raised up for them a what? A deliverer, a person that would act as a judge, judge the sin and bring them out of their bondage. The spirit of the Lord came on him. Now I'll go on down. You're going to see another one. When they did evil again, he raised up this man right here. Now look at verse 16. Now Ehud, if you keep going, he made a double-edged sword and he did these things. Now, what and he brought he brought a victory. What did the judges do in the Old Testament? They brought forth the word of God again, and then they brought punishment to the people of Israel. So they came to the enemy and they defeated them, and then they punished their own people and said, Kick this guy out, this one's doing wrong. Now, in the New Testament, is our battle with being judges, because we're going to do the work of a judge, are we to battle against people in a war? No, we battle against the, the, our warfare, spiritual, right? And then we set the, uh, the matters right in the church. Go back to Matthew 18. So there's the book of Judges, just a few examples. Going back, back to Matthew 18, he says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. So how many are going to do that in this church? You have our permission to point out people's sins. Not your opinions, not what you think is wrong, but what the Bible clearly says is a sin. Yeah, going back to that passage. We love you guys. You're doing so awesome. Where are we at? There we go. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, 
you have won them over. But if they will not listen, do what? What does it say? Take one or two others along that every matter may be established by the testimony of how many witnesses? Two or three. So if you find yourself in a meeting and there's two or three of us, we're about ready to judge you. We're going to judge you. It gets quiet when I preach like this in the church, but Jesus taught me to judge you. He literally showed me the exact way to judge you. I'm supposed to sit there and go, okay, who has the issue? And somebody will go, oh, you know, this person did X, Y, and Z against me. I'm supposed to listen to that as one of the witnesses and go, okay, I'm going to make a judgment on that. There's supposed to be another person in there, like a Calvin or like one of the sisters. And they're supposed to say, I'm going to make a judgment on that. Let's keep going. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a what? A tax collector. Didn't Paul say the same thing? Put them out the church. Do pagans come into this church and receive membership, baptism, communion? Is that what this church is for? Is for pagans to come and receive that? Is this church for the oppressors and those who live with wicked life like tax collectors, like a southern slave master? Are they supposed to receive communion in this church while they're being wicked as an oppressor? Absolutely not. So the Bible is very clear. You now treat that person. You do not tolerate that person. You treat that person as a pagan or tax collector. Now, do we still love pagans and tax collectors? Yeah, but we do not tolerate them in the church. Going back to Revelation, how is the church supposed to be run? We have good deeds, and we don't tolerate wicked people. Now, I believe we can do this in this church. How many believe we can do it? Amen. I believe we can do it. So what does that mean? That means when we judge, we are not hypocritical judges. Don't have time to go there? Let's just go there because we're going to make some time. Go to, go to Matthew chapter 7. Let's go to the one everybody loves. Matthew chapter 7, judge not lest ye be judged. This is it. Jesus, you contradict yourself. Because in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus, you're going to tell us to judge people and put them out the church. But here you're going to tell us not to judge. So Jesus, you must be confused. And then Jesus, in Revelation, you're going to reward us based on how we've judged and kicked out people. But once again, Jesus, you're probably confused. Do you think Jesus is confused or do you think we're confused? We're confused. Read it in its context. Judge not, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. With the measure you use, will be measured to you. Hold on. Am I getting judged? How many here are going to get judged one day? So we're already getting judged. How am I not supposed to judge? I am not supposed to judge a different way than the way I'm getting judged. Everybody misses it even in that first portion. But it gets better to contradict them, not Jesus. So right here, it's not saying don't ever make a judgment because then otherwise you'd have to hire every babysitter you interview. You'd have to hire every employee. You'd have to spend your money wherever somebody says it's a good deal because you're not making a judgment. You're just believing and trusting everybody, right? That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is don't judge falsely because if you judge falsely, you're going to be done wrong on judgment day because of those false judgments. But now look at the entire context that explains to us how to judge. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you in the whole time have a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eyes. Is the point of this passage to not help anybody get a speck out of their eye? No, the point of this passage is to not try to do LASIK like I just got done a few months ago, being blind or having a plank in your eye. 
How many know I don't want my eye surgeon to have a plank in his eye? And we're going to work on your eye now. Zip, zip, zip. Oh, no, what happened? You can't see, you say. Well, I can't see either. So now we're the same. The blind leading the blind. No, we are not supposed to just totally throw this out and go, well, forget everybody with the speck because we all got planks in our eyes. Don't try to help anybody. No, Jesus literally says, you hypocrite. You hypocrite. This is what you're supposed to do. Get the plank out. Then remove the speck. So how are we supposed to be in the church? Those who live by what we're teaching. If we're hypocritical, we shouldn't be judging nobody. We should be judging ourselves getting right with God. But if you're right with God in the church and you see somebody with a speck in their eye, what is your job to do? Help get that speck out. If your friend that you're talking to has a boogie in their nose, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to hold up the conversation for a second and say, man, you got something in your nose. How many know you're not my friend if you let me keep talking with the boogie in my nose? Some of y'all have done this to me as a pastor because I've been up here shouting and hollering. I got boogies in my nose, stuff sticking to my mouth, and I'll be talking about Jesus. I'm so glad you came to the church today. You're so amazing. And then I'll go look at myself and be like, oh, my gosh, I look so gross. Why did they not tell me? Y'all don't love me. Love me. Tell me I've got some white stuff here, a crust in my eye, or a boogie in my nose. Help get specks out of people's eyes. Now look at Jesus. The literal passage where people use to not make judgments. Jesus ends by telling us to make judgments. Do not give dogs what is sacred. How many know you have to make a judgment between a dog and a cat? You have to know the difference between a dog and a cat. So you have to learn in your world to recognize a dog versus a sheep. If you are talking to a dog, they're just barking at you the whole time. You're not supposed to keep preaching to them because they just want to argue for argument's sake. Literally, the scripture they use to say don't judge, you are supposed to judge whether or not they're a dog. Don't judge me unless you be judged this and that. Okay, let me see. Are you a dog? Seriously. And then the next one, do not throw your pearls to what? Pigs. I'm supposed to judge. Are you a pig? The, the scripture that they use for us not to judge is teaching us in that context to judge whether or not they are a dog or a pig. Isn't that still red letters? That's Jesus talking. If you do, they may trample you under the feet. Uh, they, they may trample them, the pearls, the wisdom nuggies you're giving them, and turn and tear you to pieces. Please go back to Revelation. He says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. And then what's the next thing? You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and found them false. Somebody say apologetics. We are not just supposed to believe every preacher that has a microphone. We're not supposed to believe everybody we see on TV. You're not even supposed to believe me. Everybody you listen to that's preaching this word, you are to test them. Well, touch not the Lord's anointed. I'm going to touch you real quick with the five-fold ministry blessing right now. Touch not the anointed who's living right, Jack. Once you ain't living right, I'm going to touch you right now with this hand. Now I'm going to touch you with this hand. I'm going to throw you out, you fake pimping prophet. You fake pimping apostle. You huckster. You understand what I'm talking about. Touch not the Lord's anointed, but the Lord's anointed be touching a lot of people in the back room. Yeah, they hide behind that. You better touch me and throw me out the church. Are you getting the, the point of the scriptures here? David was told not to touch him in a sense. Don't kill him. Don't kill him because Saul was deserving of God's death penalty. 
And God told him, David, don't kill him. I'm going to deal with him. And eventually Saul committed suicide, took his own life. So God dealt with Saul. But we are not supposed to say, well, they're an apostle. They're a pastor. Joe stands up here and levitates, and, and he's so holy. We're not supposed to judge him. You better judge me. Judge me. The first person you should judge should be me. Your pastor, the leader that you're coming to, because I'm supposed to be the angel of the Lord, not a demon, not a demon in disguise. You got to know where you're at. You are at this church for a reason, for God, not for people, not to build up egos, not to make somebody rich. You are here to seek first the kingdom of God. Amen? So please test me. That's why we put all of our beliefs. Go to the website, good sir, mpichurch.org. We put all of our beliefs out there. Open up a new tab for yourself there, good sir. Control T, I'm helping you out today. Amen. Control T. New Metro Praise uh, link there. I want you to see that you can go and look at every single one of our beliefs that some people get bothered by. Because I don't want you coming to this church being like, man, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's the way they were. I didn't know that's what they believed. Now touch on that right there, that top three menu. The menu at the top. There you go. Thank you, sir. Go to beliefs and stances. And I love it when people come to our church and they go, man, I'm, I'm, I'm a part of this. I want to be a part of this church because I see what you believe. Here's the a confession of faith, what we just heard today. The 16 fundamental truths is what we believe the doctrines are based on. Now our stances. You want to know what we think about abortion? Check on that. You want to think about, uh, hear about what we think about alcohol? Check on that. You can drink in moderation. Divorce, get a biblical divorce or repent for being an adulterer. You want to see what we think about LGBT? It's sin. Live according to the sexuality of the Bible. Racism, it's of the devil. It's hatred and murder. Smoking and vaping may not send you to hell, but it'll make you smell like you've been there. Unless you're vaping cotton candy, then it'll make you smell like you've been to the, to the carnival. That used to be a funny joke us preachers used to say, because you know how many know cigarette smoke smells nasty? But now vape is like, oh, what is that? What is that? Is that a little like, um, what is that? What am I smelling? I'm getting, hints, I'm getting hints of cucumber here. I'm getting hints of, what else? Some rose? Oh, what am I getting here? Suicide? One-way ticket right to hell. Don't do it. Do I have any others under there to offend people? No, but how many are happy you got some truth up here? Just click on one so they can see it. Just click on racism, smoking, vape. Just click on any one that your heart desires. There you go. So, so we're not shying away from anything here. We want you to understand. Just scroll down so they can see all that we talk about. We're not running from it. When the, when the racist stuff started happening, you know, the, the BLM and all that, we're like, man, racists go to hell. What can I be more clear about? But BLM is going to hell with them. <laughs> Right? It's like if you support an organization that supports homosexuality, displacing the man from the family, all of those things, you go into the same hell as the racists. Don't do that. Go to heaven with Jesus. How many think we had something to say about racism? Amen. It's there. Going back to the notes, please. Test apostles. Test them by the word of God. Don't just take their word for it. Now, how many know that Jesus is an awesome communicator? How many have ever heard the sandwich method of uh, compliment, critique, compliment. Has anybody ever heard that? Say something nice, give a little critique, say something nice. So Jesus, Bowery, say one more thing nice and then give us a critique, okay? And you have persevered and have not endured, uh, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Everybody go amen. amen. Okay, so there it is. He talks about who he is. He gives us the three things that he's proud of them for. Now look what he goes on to, verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. 
right when you're all buttered up, Jesus loves me, star next to my name, I don't tolerate wicked people, star next to my name that I test the false apostles and reject the wrong ones, uh, you know, I get them out of my life, star next to my name, I'm persevering, and now Jesus says to these people, Vinny, would you come please in closing, everybody get this, to those people, somebody say those people, I have this against you, you have lost your first love. I don't know about you, but I get convicted right here because now I know that all the things that I just did before as a Christian, like these folks from Ephesus, can't replace my love for God. And so if I, as a Christian, am doing all of those things, I am awesome. I'm living holy. I'm not tolerating sin. I'm kicking people out the church. I'm bold at Nini's Deli, ready to preach wherever the Lord places me. But listen, if that is all external, I am no different now than the Muslim praying five times a day towards Mecca. Because our quote-unquote religion is not based on what we do. It's based on who we love. And if we out of culture just become Christians for Christians' sake, for the religious sake, and lose our love, God says it is worth nothing. Nothing. It's no different than the person being a Cubs fan because their father was a Cubs fan and their grandpa was a Cubs fan. And I'm just a Cubs fan. I'm a Christian. I know homosexuality is a sin. I stand up against the wickedness of my culture because I'm a Christian. But do you love Jesus? Do you put Jesus in your heart first and foremost above everything? Because if you don't, you will, look at what it says, will have your lampstand removed from its place. God says, I will remove the Holy Spirit. That is the fire of the church. I will remove the Holy Spirit from its place. I do believe that those who are saved are securely saved. We should not fear going to hell. But just because you're saved now doesn't mean you're going to die saved. You're not once saved, always saved. You have a choice to make as a Christian. Do you stay in love with God or do you make Christianity about the things you're against and what you stand for and don't mess with me and all of this? Because if you do, you've lost Christianity. And that, everybody get it, is a rebuke to this guy. Because I'm the one that loves those first three things. I love it. I love letting people know I don't tolerate wickedness. I don't tolerate fake, false apostles. And I will endure hardships, man. Things get rough. I'm not quitting. I'm going through. And I can just hear the Lord speak to me as he did yesterday as I was in my prayer time. The Lord saying, but I still need you, Joe, to be a child in my arms, to have childlike faith, to love me for who I am, not because you get to stand on a mountain somewhere and beat your chest or roar like a lion. You have to always see yourself in a father-son, father-daughter relationship. This is family business. That brings the fear of God to me. Why? They had Paul the apostle. They had the greatest church they could possibly have. Look at Ephesians 6, verse 24. As a matter of fact, we know Paul has been beheaded by this time, but look at what Paul puts in his last verse, at the last chapter to these precious saints. He says, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. You can literally hear this as Paul's last words to them. Guys, never stop loving Jesus. Never stop 
loving Jesus. This was written around 40, 50 A.D. The book of Revelation around 80 A.D. 40 years later, Jesus is looking at the church that was started by an apostle, pastored by Timothy, given the three years of mentorship by these amazing leaders, told to never lose their love. They are now the very ones Jesus is looking at and going, you can lose it all if you lose your first love. So you think, you think I'm going to play games with this? After hearing that, how am I going to play games with Jesus? I've had pastors go back to drug rehab. I've had my pastor friends cheat on their wives and get remarried. I've watched people commit suicide. Are you listening to me? I've watched people go back to the streets and live horrible lives. I've watched people become new agers, atheists. Do you think I'm going to play with this? No, we better guard our hearts, my friend, because the devil's looking like a lion to devour us. And before, everybody get this, before he gets you to come back and get drunk and party and smoke weed and do all that, before he gets you to cheat on your wife, before he gets you to find pleasure in a same-sex relationship, what he's going to do is get you to fall out of love with Jesus. Because someone who's in love with Jesus will never cheat on Jesus. I can't cheat on my wife right now. It's impossible because I love her too much. I don't have room for another woman. I don't have more love or time to give. Everything belongs to my wife. But if my love life with my wife was wrong, somebody else could slip in and I could let them fill that void. But if I am always full of my wife's love and I choose to give my whole heart to her, what do I have left to give to an adulterous affair? You better be so in love with Jesus that there's no room for the devil to get a foothold. You need to be so in love with the things of God that the devil can't draw you in with his temptation because you know what you have is not only worth living for, it's worth dying for. I love Jesus because he first loved me. I love Jesus because he first loved me. If you knew what I had been through, if you knew what he had did for me, you would shout like I'm shouting. If you knew what he had done for Desi and for the others here, you would clap like they're clapping and shout like they're shouting because Jesus is the lover of our souls. Jesus is the lamb slain for our sins to wash us white as snow. And that's why we can love him. We can love him because he first loved a sinner like us. Thank you, Jesus. When you think about what Jesus has done, you can stand up. Come on, let's get the altar workers up here. And you think about your testimony. Some of you haven't had a first love yet. Today you can get saved for the first time. It's going to be awesome. But I'm speaking to those right now who have already fallen in love with Jesus. You know what I'm talking about, that first love. Oh, there's nothing like it. Don't let the world take it away from you. Don't let the busyness of life and the pressures of life take away a first love. When I first got saved, 
I was just like many of you. I would come to church. And I would sit here and I would look around at everybody. And I would be like, man, they're looking at me. I don't belong here. And I remember people around me would be raising their hands and worshiping just like we are here. And I remember closing my eyes one time and I said, God, you don't expect me to do this, do you? I mean, it's probably just good enough I'm in church today. You know, I used to sell drugs, do drugs. And I just heard the Lord say to me, you weren't ashamed of the devil when you served him. You sold drugs in front of people. You cussed out teachers. Don't be ashamed of me now. And I said, Lord, what if they look at me? He said, nobody's looking. No one's paying attention. So I just started raising up my hands. And I know for us here in the church who do it all the time, it, you know, it's kind of like our thing around here. But I got to go back to that first love. Somebody say first love. And remember what it felt like the first time to tell the whole world I love Jesus and I don't care. Tears started coming down my eyes. I started feeling the power of God. You know, I've been skeptical of those things because I was raised in a church like this, but it became real. The power of God started touching me. And then that was one thing. You know, going to church, raising my hands. But then the Lord started saying to me, He said, anytime they open up the altars, I want you to go and kneel down and get more of my presence in your life. And so I remember coming to an altar for the first time on a Wednesday Bible study coming before that altar and saying Jesus I don't know what to do here I don't know what happens here but I just want to make a sign that I love you because you told me to do it so I'm obeying and I just began to weep tears streaming down my face and a prayer worker just like a brother like this came up next to me he said, brother, are you okay? I said, I just feel Jesus. I said, I just feel his love. Yeah, I'm good. And I don't even know why I'm crying, but I just feel Jesus. A few weeks later, I felt the Lord say, start preaching. Start telling others about me. Not because you're holding a microphone and you have to, you're getting paid. Not because people look up to you as a pastor. But the Lord said, I want you to go tell people about me. And I said, Lord, where do I go? He said, go right where you used to skateboard. Go right down to Fryman Square where you used to get drugs. And go tell them that you love me now. That you love me now. That you're serving me. And my friends were skateboarding. God is my witness. And there was a place where we used to be able to sit you know, like a garden area above the sidewalk. And I stood up on top of that while they were skateboarding. And I said, you guys know who I used to be. You know how I used to live. But now I am in love with Jesus. He loves you, has a plan for your life. Come to him. all by myself, nobody there. It's just me and Jesus. Do you hear my heart today, saints? I don't know where the first time, or where you were the first time you raised your hand. I don't know what it was like for you when you started feeling God's presence. Maybe it was in your house. I don't know where you started doing ministry for the first time. But Jesus is telling us, don't lose your first love. Don't you lose it going back to the notes. He talks about himself, reveals himself. 
He gives them encouragement, then he gives them a rebuke, and then he ends with encouragement. Verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Can somebody introduce people to a Jesus that hates stuff? Can you be sure to do that this week? Because I'm tired of everybody talking about a Jesus that just seems to get along with everything. Will you remind them that you're going to be judged on some of the stuff you hated in this life? I hate the practice of abortion. I hate the practice of adultery. I hate the practice of pornography. I hate the practice of transgenderism and lesbian. I hate it because Jesus hates it. Not that I hate a Nicolaitan. I love a Nicolaitan. But I hate what they practice. I want their soul to be saved. I want God to save their soul, change their mind. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. So anybody says, oh, he's just picking on these folks. No, I hate every sin. Show me a person sinning and I hate their practice. I hate my children's practices of sin. I hate my mom's practice. I don't care who you are, what religion you belong to. You practice something that my God hates, I hate it. And I'll tell you about it so you can get right. If you don't want it, that's up to you. That's up to you. I'm not going to force it on you. Please put up that picture we had in closing of the martyrs going to the arenas. Because he said to them, now in closing, his final encouragement. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Somebody say, I'm hearing Jesus. What the Spirit says to the churches. See, he's not speaking this to heavenly beings. He's speaking it literally to the churches, the leaders in charge and to the people. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. How many want to eat of the tree of life one day? How many want to be in the paradise of God one day? No matter what it costs, I'm going, Jesus. You going? I'm going. I don't care what it takes. I'm eating of that fruit. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I want to put up this picture for us to get an image in our hearts of what they had to do to overcome. Thank you, my brother. Yeah, scroll down a little bit for me, please. Keep on going. Get this one right here. There you go. Thank you. That's what's up. That's what's up. You want to see Jesus? You want to eat from the tree of life? You and I have to be ready to overcome. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown in fire. Daniel, thrown into a lion's den. Our Jesus, crucified. His apostle, Paul, beheaded. Paul's disciple, Timothy, beat and drugged through the streets. I'm not looking for it. I'm not a, I don't have a martyr complex. But when we go through these churches in Revelation, you better be ready to go through what they went through. Because over the next two and a half uh, centuries, 250 years, they suffered the most uh, excruciating persecution that a people group has ever gone through. And still to this day, the church, the Christian church, is the most persecuted people group in the world. Are you willing to endure that you might reign with Christ? Everybody hear my heart today. No cross, no crown. You don't carry your cross here, you get no crown up there. No cross, no crown, televangelists. No cross, no crown, you lukewarm, evangelifish Christian. 
No, no cross, no crown. You mega mess. But whoever carries the cross of Christ today, you getting a crown. Go back to Revelation, please, so they can see it. You are getting a crown. Those folks went, listen to me, they went from the dirt of those Roman amphitheaters to the streets of gold being given a crown of a victor. They went from the beheadings to being in the presence of the Lord. They went from being starved and put into solitary confinement to being given the fruit of everlasting life in the presence of God. All in. All in for Jesus. Amen. Father, we thank you for this day. We ask you to give us all of you so that we can give you all of us. If you don't know Jesus, once again, open up your heart and make an exchange. All of Jesus for all of you. Surrender. Confess him as Lord. Confess your sins. If you're here today and you're a Christian, ask the Lord to search your heart. Don't tolerate wickedness inside of you today. Confess every sin that the Lord brings up. If it happens again this week, be quick to confess. Pray the Lord's prayer. Lead me not into temptation, Jesus, but deliver me from evil, Jesus. Lead me not into gossip. Lead me not into pornography. Lead me not into addiction, but deliver me, Jesus. Deliver me, Jesus. A few moments and then we'll dismiss. These altars will be open for those who want to receive prayer. But may we love Jesus the way he deserves to be loved. He is jealous for me. His love is like a hurricane. And I am the tree bending beneath the weight of his glory. Let's sing it out today. He is jealous for me. The Bible says he's a jealous God. He doesn't want us to be given to another. If you need prayer, you can come up. We'd love to pray for you with any any issue or needs you have. Those who are worshiping, come on. Search your heart. 